0: TODAY FROM THE GLOBAL LANE, UNDER ATTACK AND STRESS TO THE MAX. WHAT ARE AMERICA'S MEN AND WOMEN IN BLUE TO DO? THOSE STRESSES
1: ARE are BECOMING GREATER AND GREATER.
0: CITIES ON FIRE, POLICE DISBANDED. WE'VE LOST OUR MORAL COMPASS. IN DANGER, BUT POLICE DEFUNDED AND DISBANDED. WHO WILL COLLEGE STUDENTS CALL THIS FALL?
2: MOST OF THE TIME I JUST CALL MY
0: PARENTS OR MY FRIENDS. AND TEAR THEM ALL DOWN, EVEN LINCOLN? And it's all right here on the Global Lane. America's police officers under fire. Men and women in blue are facing growing hostilities in the aftermath of the George Floyd incident and another recent shooting death by police in Atlanta. Police defunding, budget cuts, and long hours are also adding to on-the-job stress of many officers. Retired police sergeant Mike McGrew is co-founder of At Ease International, a group providing free support and counseling service to police, firemen, paramedics, and other first responders. Sergeant McGrew's story is told in the book, A Higher Call to Duty. Sergeant McGrew, first, let's discuss how police are handling these attacks. Now, you were on the force in Santa Barbara for 30 years. You were called to serve during the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles in 1992. Any similarity to what is happening now and what happened 28 years ago in L.A.?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities. Um, and in the Los Angeles riots, the, the only difference was it was more localized, so it was here in Southern California. But the same time of uh, same type of behavior and activity was happening down there. It was, uh, it was a very da- dangerous place to be as a as a police officer. Um, but it was for me, it was something that um, that opened my eyes to the different communities as well because. It wasn't everybody that was looting. It wasn't everybody committing a crime. Uh, we had a lot of support.
0: We're seeing growing hostilities toward police around the nation. Why is that? Do you think? And are efforts to defund police warranted at all?
1: Well, the hostilities come with just the the incidents that are that are front. You know, they're right in or they're right in the media where it's 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 beginning um, to derail the public trust that people have worked for so hard for the last 30 years that I was involved in it. We we really um, wanted to be part of the community across the country. Community-oriented policing was a, was a uh, type of policing that helped us do that through outreach programs. And now, uh, with the defunding of the police department, that's going to, to hurt those efforts, because uh, police departments and sheriff's departments have to answer 911 calls. They have to go to life threatening uh, emergency calls.
0: And what do you think of President Trump's executive order? He's setting guidelines on best practices for the use of force, also requiring the sharing of information about officer misconduct and using social workers in nonviolent situations. What do you think of that?
1: I think some of those things have already happened. Uh, social workers, uh, I They are used quite a bit, uh, but there's times where they can't. And they call us, they call the police in to to uh, to help them out in dangerous situations. So, yes, if you can use a social worker for a child uh, neglect case or something like that. But there are also criminal activity that happens around it. So I I don't know that you're going to see that happen. Um, The uh, the tracking of officers. That may, that's already begun. Uh, the last 20 years they began tracking use of force.
0: And your organization At Ease International provides free counseling services for police, firemen other first responders, specifically police. What are police officers going through right now emotionally?
1: Well, policing itself uh, involves layered stress that sneaks up on the, on the people doing the job. So uh, to go out to crime scenes and different situations that um, you can't come home and talk to your family about, you can't really talk to your friends about, it begins in isolation and there begins this process of post-traumatic stress beginning to happen in their lives. You know, you you put this on top of it where uh, they're not appreciated, um, that they have to talk to their families about, you know, all cops are not bad um, you know, it, it's hurting their families their families are, are, you know, really upset about the things being said about the profession where they know that there's a lot of good people um, uh, involved in it. So those stresses are, are, are becoming greater and greater. You had the covid. Uh, this was now, you know, not going on just putting your own life online, but you, now you were out putting uh, the life of your family online because you could bring that home. And so there's just a lot more pressures, I think, than I've ever experienced in the last 30 years that are hitting the, the law enforcement. We have this program that's set up. Uh, it's not uh, associated with a county a city, uh, anybody else. It's, just, it's it's raised for the community. And first responders can call a number and they can immediately be set up with a counselor to address the issues that they're going through.
0: A lot like our veterans coming back from war, suffering from PTSD, high divorce rates, high suicide rates. Now, you were reprimanded for praying with people on the job after a picture of you praying appeared in the newspaper. But you continued to pray with people. And in your book, you tell the story of Mary, a woman you pulled over for a traffic violation. Tell us why you prayed with Mary. There was a traffic violation that happened uh, right in
1: front of me. I pulled the lady over, and as I was uh, speaking to her, she began to cry. And I knew that it wasn't about the ticket, so I asked her, um, you know, why she was crying, and she told me that she had just come back from the doctor's office and that she was told she has cancer. And so I knew it was God uh, telling me it's okay to pray. He, he said another one uh, right in front of me, and so I, I grabbed her hand and and uh, I asked her about her faith, and she said she had walked away, but. You know, I, I said, well, would you like to pray with me now? And and she did. And so I grabbed her hand and knelt down beside her in the, uh, on the roadway there. And and, um, and God just gave me a, just a really beautiful prayer for her. For me, it's very rewarding because I can see God's grace. I know that, you know, a lot of the things that are happening right now are fueled by the enemy. You see how he works, how he wants to create fear, how he wants to create isolation and division. And, and you know, I... I continue to pray, and even at larger levels during some of the protests, you can see God's hand where um, he keeps the situation calm and he'll bring the right people to the surface to, to receive whatever message needs to be received that day.
0: Well, plenty to pray about right now, and it's good to hear those stories, positive stories about praying police. Okay, your story is presented in the book, A Higher Call to Duty. Sergeant Mike McGrew, Thank you for sharing your time and insights today. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: In response to the outrage over George Floyd's death, Paramount canceled the long-running TV show Cops. Then A&E followed by suspending the hit show Live PD. HBO initially caved to the politically correct crowd and blacklisted the classic film Gone with the Wind. But now they say they'll return the film with a black scholar giving an introduction to provide historical context. Also there are changes in cartoons. In HBO's updated Looney Tunes, Elmer Fudd, a hunter, will no longer carry a gun as he hunts that waskowy wabbit. Is America overreacting or are these cultural changes justified in light of the George Floyd tragedy and demands for social justice? Well, here to weigh in is Christian apologist, speaker and author, Alex McFarland. Alex, it's good to talk to you again. So is this something new, or did you see these demands for cultural change coming?
2: Wow. Well, thank you, Gary. It's great to be with you again. I think 2020 is going to be the year that we remember uh, there was a cultural shift in America that, apart from the intervention of God, was paving the way for the overthrow of America. It's very sad. We've lost our moral compass and we're losing our ability to think rationally. And, and all, of these, all of these changes in what they call cancel culture, cancel this, you know, discontinue that, pull down statues, uh, rewrite history, it's not gonna change anything until there's a change in the human heart. For one thing, obviously we know the, the main change in the human heart is when people have a relationship with Jesus Christ, And that's the fundamental change all people need. But one uh, part of the human heart that our founders knew about, but people seem to ignore today, is a moral compass. And teaching young people that uh, the way to get what you want is to throw a tantrum and smash windows, and you make enough noise and anarchy till you get your way, that's not the right message to send to our culture. The message is that there is moral truth and we are to live morally. And so Gary, I'm deeply concerned that we're a culture descending further and further into lawlessness.
0: And Alex, a lot of people of faith are actually going along with some of these demands for change beyond equality and justice. So how should Christians respond without coming across as being insensitive and uncaring?
2: Well, well, you're right. You know, um, when we talk about people of faith, we talk about the body of Christ, Christians, and then within the body of Christ, there are ministers and people in positions of leadership. And I've got to say, and and by God's grace, I've um, in the last 30 years pastored two churches, spoken in 2,200 churches. Um, I'm very concerned that most pastors are not speaking to their flock about moral and social and political issues from a biblical perspective. The Barna Research Group shows that 74% of adult parishioners want their clergy or their priests to speak about moral and political and social issues from a biblical perspective, but, but most aren't. Uh, only 12% of pastors do. And so a lot of people, especially young people, are not really grounded on how to speak truth and know truth and think critically, think biblically, because um, the the clergy are not feeding the flock. And so I'll grant you, as a pastor, sometimes it's a little uncomfortable to talk about sin, righteousness, repentance, abortion, biblical morality, the sin of homosexuality, and, and really how transgenderism and gender confusion is demonic. I mean, these are hard things to preach on. But look, if we, the, the pastors and the clergy and the body of Christ, if we don't tell this world what thus saith the Lord, our nation's just going to further unravel, maybe past the point of no return.
0: Well, I guess it begins there, does it not? Alex McFarland? we're out of time. Author, speaker, educator, thank you for joining us. God bless you. Defunding the police. Recent protests demanding justice after the suffocating death of George Floyd quickly evolved into calls to defund and abolish police departments. Already, Minneapolis and New York City are on their way to defunding their departments. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio says he's reallocating resources to youth and social programs Minneapolis is actually disbanding their police department. But a recent poll found that 64% of Americans oppose defunding police departments in their cities. So what do American young people think? Away from college and at home because of the COVID-19 pandemic, do they share in the leftist view often promoted while on campus that police should be defunded? Campus Reform Digital reporter Eduardo Naret took to the streets of Miami to find out what young people there think about police defunding. What do you guys think about that? Do you guys agree with that?
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: I think we should defund the police just because I just don't think it's fair how they're treating people. I just don't think that they're being fair to everyone and the brutality is getting
2: really bad. We should defund the police, yes. I mean, obviously, I don't think we should defund it completely because then, like, who... Who are you gonna call yeah I think there would be crime like higher crime rates at first I mean we still need people to protect us
3: if we defund the police department who are you gonna call if there's a crime who are you gonna call if you're in need of help
2: um, I don't really feel a necessity to call the police ever like usually most of the time I just call my parents or my friends
3: if you defund the police it just defunds
0: the whole you know security system that we have our safety form. Um,
2: I'm sorry like I get it that there are some police that are committing racial injustices, but at the end of the day, those are people that risk their lives every day to make us safer.
0: I mean, during the the first civil rights movements in the 1960s, they weren't asking to defund the police, but better um, promote equality, and I think that's what we have to keep doing.
2: And a life without a police system, or just a system that protects us, is uh, total anarchy.
0: Here with more is Campus Reform digital reporter Eduardo Naret. So, Eduardo, what surprised you the most about those responses?
3: Well, I think it's that students and young Americans are so quick to jump on this bandwagon of defunding the police without knowing what it really means. So I wanted to find out how many students actually support this as we're seeing growing calls. And as you saw in the video, a lot of students quickly said, yeah, we support this movement. We support defunding the police. But when I asked them things like, you know, if you were on campus and you had an emergency, who would you call? Or who is going to keep students safe on campus? A lot of students stepped back and said, you know what, that's a good point. Or, you know, maybe I don't fully support defunding the police. So it shows that there's a disconnect between what defunding the police actually means, which would mean to strip police departments of all funding, and what students think of it. I, I think that a lot of students and young Americans right now want racial equality. They want to get involved and do something and take a stand. But unfortunately, we're seeing them jump to this movement very quickly. They're hearing their friends talk about it on social media. They're hearing calls for it on their campuses. And so they're jumping into it without fully understanding what it means.
0: Yes, emotional responses. Uh, The young woman who said she'd call her parents or a friend if she needed help. Did you press her on that, Eduardo, and ask, well, what if someone breaks into your apartment or is robbing or assaulting you?
3: I did, and I asked her what her greatest issue was with the police, why she wouldn't feel comfortable calling them, and so she seemed to contradict herself because she said, "Well, my biggest issue with calling the police is that it takes them about ten minutes to arrive." So a very strange response because you know that is a very quick response time if you think about it, and and nonetheless they came to help her. So she's obviously someone who hasn't really thought it through, and I think unfortunately that's the case with a lot of young Americans across the country. Most Americans don't support defunding the police. Uh, Two thirds about are are against the movement, and I think even that one third who may support it, I think a lot of them are like the people in my video. They think it sounds nice. They think it's a solution to the racial inequality or police brutality. But I think if someone could go out there and explain to them, hey, this is what defunding the police would mean. This is how it would neg- negatively affect poor and minority communities. I think a lot of those people who think they support it would take a step back and say, you know what, I'm not sure I believe in this movement.
0: So why do you think that is happening? Why do they uh, just have this view that, oh, yes, let's defund the police is- they're not on campus right now, so it doesn't seem like they're getting that from liberal professors on campus or other students. Uh, where is that coming from?
3: Well, surprisingly, we've seen a lot of students be able to organize petitions you know, remotely from their campuses. So these things circulate on social media, and there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of social media pressure for students to say something, for students to get involved. And then the other issue here is we've allowed one side of the discussion to dominate the attention. You know, the defund police movement is the loudest voice in the room right now, but it's not the only realistic solution. And so the other side, people who don't want to defund police departments, they have to get out there, they have to find an appropriate message and talk to these people and explain, here's some realistic solutions to stop police brutality. Here's some realistic solutions to bridge the racial divide in this country. And unfortunately, they haven't been doing that in the same way that the defund police movement has. And so the defund the police movement has been able to dominate the discussion.
0: And finally, quickly, some colleges are all disbanding their campus police. What effect will that have on college students returning to campus this fall?
3: I think students are going to see very quickly that they're not going to have people to call. You know, a lot of students I have talked to, they call the police when, you know, maybe they have something stolen, like a laptop stolen. A lot of students call the police walking home uh, at night when they don't feel safe because campus police don't just police campus. They also police the area surrounding campus. So whether it's bars, whether it's restaurants, whether it's other establishments near campus, these are where students go. And students are going to realize very quickly, if they defund and get rid of the police on their campus, that there are areas and times that they're going to be unsafe. and they're not going to have anyone to call. And so I would advise students across the country, before they take the route of the University of Minnesota that has defunded their police department, think very uh, carefully about what you would do and who you would call if you felt unsafe on campus next semester.
0: Okay. Eduardo Naret, digital reporter for Campus Reform, thanks for sharing your uh, position and portions of your video. Where can people see the full video?
3: Go to our YouTube channel, uh, go on YouTube, search Campus Reform, or go to campusreform.org. It's one of the top articles on our site. You'll see the video, and we hope you watch.
0: Okay, Eduardo, keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Across the nation, leftists are destroying historic statues. They're vandalizing them or tearing them down. Government decrees are removing others. Many black Americans are offended by the 1,700 Confederate statues on display throughout the South. They see them as honoring men who fought to keep African Americans enslaved. Agreed. It's a painful reminder of our past. But instead of destroying them, let's place the statues in museums, where future generations can learn about American history, the good and the bad. This assault on American history isn't limited to Confederate statues. Already, some leftists are demanding that the Alamo be demolished. The Alamo? Are you kidding me? That's where brave Americans like Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, and William Travis died defending Texas from the Mexican army. In Boston, an effort is underway to convince city officials to remove a statue of Abraham Lincoln. The statue is a replica of the original one in Washington, D.C. Bostonian Tory Bullock says... He has a signed petition containing 700 signatures demanding that the statue be removed. The mayor agrees. The statue is rightfully called the Freedmen's Monument. It depicts America's first Republican president after he signed the Emancipation Proclamation in 1862, freeing slaves in the Confederate states. A sign at the base of the statue says, A race set free. Now that's a good thing to remember and honor, right? Wrong. Listen to Bullock explain.
1: It says that it's a statue that's supposed to represent freedom, but to
0: me it represents submissiveness. It represents it, it, it represents know your place because that's where you belong. To me, the statue says emancipation, freedom, a new beginning for a race unshackled, rising up on the road to equality in America. It's a reflection of a moment in American history. That's what art does. It stimulates varied responses. Some people may find certain works distasteful, others not so much. I've always wondered who decides what is offensive? What should be censored or destroyed? Folks, this is a slippery slope. Destroy Lincoln today, tomorrow it will be Washington and Jefferson, our founding fathers. Yes, all imperfect, flawed men. True, Washington and Jefferson own slaves but they also freed our nation from the tyranny of Great Britain. They were instrumental in creating and leading the greatest democracy on the face of the earth. Yes, it's statues today, but next it will be the burning of offensive books and literature. We're already seeing limitations and censorship of speech deemed offensive on social media. Here's Dr. Ben Carson on ABC's This Week. He talked about those who are dissecting and ascribing nefarious notions to everything.
2: We need to move away from being offended by everything, of going through history and looking at everything, you know, of renaming everything. I mean, think about the fact that some of our universities, some of our prestigious universities, have a relationship with the slave trade. Should we go and rename those universities? Uh, you know, th- it really gets to a point of being ridiculous after a while, and you know, we're going to have to grow up as a society.
0: So let's not allow the whims of modern culture to cause us to forget America's past. Let's move forward while examining, not erasing our nation's history. Let's focus on what we are now and strive to be better. Let's all work to create a stronger, more just, unified, and godly nation. Well, that's it from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. And until next time, be blessed.